Well, it is good to see you again. Thank you for praying for us while we're on holiday. We had a great time yeah, with family and friends, but it is good to be back. It is particularly good to be back with the Filipinos in town today. They are all friends of mine. And so to introduce them to you, our local church, we are my favorite people in the world. It is so good to be together. I would have to say, please be praying for the Filipinos because the last 24 hours have not been without incident. No, one couple was searched at the airport for trying to smuggle in lemons, can you believe? Lemons into our beautiful country, giving us diseases. One other family um, actually may or may not have gone through a speeding camera at 70 when a 60 limit, that may have been a problem. And one other family actually got pulled over by the police on just by my house. So please be praying for them. Um, speeding and driving appears to be a challenge. But we trust God will be with them, and we are thrilled, genuinely thrilled to have all you Filipinos and with us for the next three weeks. Please be praying for them. Well, folks, today we have the privilege, and I have the privilege, uh, once again, of reading God's Word as, once again, God Himself kindly and majestically addresses us from His Word. So let's turn in our Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you'd like a title for this morning's message, I've called it Because He Cares For You. And in so many ways, as we've sang through songs this morning, as we've heard prayers this morning, it's one of those moments where you're aware God has gone before me and it's almost like we've preached the message before it's even arrived. I think that's an evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in our midst. God Himself already busy communicating to us as a local church, and caring for you as his children. And so let's be addressed by the Lord now through the preaching of the word. 1 Peter 5, I'm going to read from verses 5 through to the end of verse 7. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to all the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Lord, we do pray that you would bless the preaching of the Word today. Lord, I do believe and sense that yet again you want to address your people. You want to minister to our souls. So Lord, would you do that? Holy Spirit, would you move amongst us this morning to open blind eyes, to heal hurting hearts? Have your way amongst us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, part of being alive, part of being a human being, indeed part of being a Christian as well, is understanding the reality that as surely sparks fly upwards, troubles fall. Things happen in our lives, whether we like it or not, that are not what we had planned, that are not what we had had hoped, but they're part of what it means to be a living and breathing human being. So you go to the hospital, you're just going for a routine checkup, and yet you're a bit concerned about something, but it's probably no big deal, to which point the doctor tells you it may well be a big deal. It may be a life-changing deal. And in a moment, your, your life flashes before your eyes and you wonder, how did I get here? 
Health can always be a challenge. As surely as sparks fly upwards, health can be a challenge for us. Or what about relationships? You're single. And consistently for you, it is a hope deferred. You long to be married. You would love to be married. You thought many times before maybe you would get married. But right now you are not married. And for you, that's a hope deferred. It's a trial because you would love to find the the partner that God may be giving you to spend your life with. Or maybe you're married and it's the opposite for you. You're jealous of the singles. You look at them and wish you were like them. Because your marriage is tough. Daily, it is sadly a trial or a trouble for you. It's actually difficult. And you long back to the days when you weren't married. Maybe your challenge is friendships. Maybe you don't have many friends. Maybe you've never really had many friends, and so you feel lonely. Or maybe you had friends before, but you lost them. They left, maybe well, maybe badly. But the fruit of that has been pain and and trouble and difficulty in your life. What about finances? We all live in a country where the constant cost of living rises is a reality. Our rent just went up again. You know, everything just keeps going up, does it not? There's never any good news. Even McDonald's is getting more expensive. You know, everything just keeps going up all the time. And you can, joking aside, wonder, how am I going to make these ends meet going forward? Because my salary ain't going up as much as everything else is going up. And so for some of us, let's be honest, that can be a challenge. That can be a trial. That can be a source of anxiety in our lives and difficulty. And for some, maybe you're struggling not only with that, but you're struggling with the reality that maybe your job isn't as safe as you thought. How's it going to work for you? How are you going to push through? Maybe for others, your challenge is family. You had high hopes for your kids when they were like this big, but as they have got older, each one has started to walk away from the Lord. And it breaks your heart. Because the most important thing for you is that your kids love Jesus and follow him with all their hearts. And yet one by one, you're seeing they're not interested in doing that. You know, sure, sparks fly upwards, troubles fall. And the original recipients of this letter of 1 Peter were no exception to this reality. They were, as you know, being maligned and persecuted and slandered by those around them. Once upon a time, they used to be just like those around them. They used to go to the same parties, live in the same sensualities. And yet, at just the right time, they gave their lives to following the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They were born again to a living hope. And in that moment, boom, as they followed Jesus, their lives changed. Their lifestyle changed. And their friends and family didn't like that very much. They found their newfound faith pretty off-putting and strange, and they distanced themselves towards them before then beginning to malign them and persecuting and slandering them. The people that this original letter was written for knew what it was like to understand that as sure as sparks fly upwards, troubles fall. And so Peter's writing to them, and indeed he's writing to us today to tell us things that will bring us hope, that will bring us faith, and that will bring us great comfort, even in the midst of the trials and troubles we find ourselves enduring. And in this text, the one thing he wants to teach us is simply this, that as Christians, we are cared for by God himself. You're not just a number. You're not even just a name. 
you are a child of God that he is sincerely, passionately, and personally caring for. And when you see it in this text, I submit to you, it takes your breath away. And what faith and hope and comfort it can minister to our souls. So I have two points this morning. Number one, God's care displayed. I want us to see it in the text and how it works in the letter. And then number two, God's care applied. But I really come to this text with with one hope, and it's that we would all know as Christians this morning, God's passionate and personal and particular care for you. Because that's what you're on the end of. The care of God Almighty Himself. Two points then, and here's the first. God's care displayed. And oh my, what a wonderful display of God's care towards us we really do have throughout this great letter. Throughout this great letter, Peter constantly keeps keeps taking our eyes and he wants to show us things. And if we're perceptive, we will see that the things that he is showing us time and time again are meant in part to help us understand how God cares for us. And so we see that all the way from the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, where we discover God's care towards us began before there was even time. God's care began in eternity past. One of the great themes of the New Testament is the reality that you and I are here today as Christians because He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. It's what we hear exclusively in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. But it is echoed in many other places in the New Testament. The reality that God, in His mercy and care towards you, chose you before there was even time. See, brothers and sisters, the reality is, for each and every one of us in the room, we were all at once upon a time dead in our trespasses and sins. We were all hostile in mind before the Lord. We were all doing evil deeds. We were all once alienated from the Lord, and we were all then, by very nature, objects of God's wrath. We were objects of His divine wrath, and we were dead in that reality, and we simply didn't care. We were unaware, we were blind, we were dead. Listen, your face was face down in the water, and you were not breathing. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. And yet at just the right time, someone came and preached the gospel to you. And what happened? Boom! You were born again to a living hope, were you not? You responded to the glories of the gospel and you were born again to a living hope. In that moment, as you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were forgiven of your sin, you were redeemed and reconciled back to God, you were adopted into His very family, you were indeed born again to a living hope, that is being kept in heaven even for you now. An inheritance that is undefiled, that is unfading, that is unchanging. A glorious hope that is your eternal reward to come. And yet one can wonder, how did this happen? How did I go from being face down in the water, dead in my transgressions and sins, to responding to the gospel that that person said to me? How do I do that if I'm dead? And what you realize is you do that because of the prior work of God in your life. For he's the one that takes you up from dead and shows you the glories that the gospel is being proclaimed before your eyes and causes you to respond in faith. What you see is it's his divine work. And Peter addresses that right early on 
in chapter 1, right at the beginning, at verse 1 he says that this is written to the elect exiles of the dispersion. Those who are elect, those that God has chosen before the foundation of the earth. Verse 2, those that he chose according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Do you get the drift? It's all him. He's recognizing it is him that has been prior working in your life. It is him that chose you before the foundation of the earth. Verse 3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. It's all him. It's all his prior work in our lives. And brothers and sisters, Peter is telling us this because he wants you to know God cared about you before even the foundation of the earth. And he cared about you enough to choose you and save you by his grace and call you to himself. Anthony Hikima, in his wonderful book, Saved by Grace, writes about it this way. He says, The decisive factor in determining who is to be saved from sin is not ultimately the decision of the human beings concerned, but the sovereign grace of God. Though, listen, human decision does play a significant role in the process. We must therefore always affirm both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Both God's sovereign grace and our active participation in the process of salvation. For we can only do justice to biblical teaching if we firmly hold onto both sides of the paradox. But since God is the creator and we are his creatures, he must have the priority. Hence, we must maintain that the ultimately decisive factor in the process of our salvation is the sovereign grace of God. Isn't that good? Is our, is our choice then real? Absolutely. You don't choose the Lord, you ain't getting in. But how did you come to choose Him? Well, because He chose you before the foundation of the earth. Because He has caused you to be born again to a living hope. My friends, behold the sovereign care of God towards you. Your entire story of salvation, it started with Him. And it culminated then in the cross, didn't it? It doesn't stay with his divine choice. It continued and cultivated in a moment where Christ gave his life away to us. In 1 Peter 2 verse 7, we see that alluded to. When we read the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. And then we see it explicitly placarded before our eyes in 1 Peter 3 verse 18. When we read, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Oh, my friends, behold the profound care of God to you. For while you were running away from him, uninterested in him, Christ suffered once for sins. His saving work is complete. There is nothing left for us to pay. He died in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, the only one who truly had no need to die. The righteous took your place on Calvary. The righteous died for the unrighteous. Why? To bring us back to God. My friends, there is no greater stunning display of the care of God that I could ever show you in Scripture than the moment when the Prince of Glory died in our place at Calvary. Simon Gathercall, in his book Defending Substitution, says, For he did something and underwent something so that we did not and would never have to do so. 
It's the language of substitution. Jesus Christ died in our place. He gave his life away as a ransom for many. He died as our sinless substitute so that we wouldn't have to. He took your place. 2,000 years ago, God the Son took your place. You should have been there. But you were not, and I was not. As Michael Lawrence tells us, Christ is done with your sins, and so are you. When he declared, it is finished, it was finished in your place. What this means now as a Christian is the penalty of your sin has been paid for. The sacrifice of your substitute has been declared sufficient. And through him, you and I have now been brought near to God. My friend, this is a stunning display of the care of God, is it not? A stunning display of his profound mercy and love and care for you individually. And it's right here then in chapter 5 verse 7 that Peter wants to help us understand that this care that started before, even before the world even began and culminated in the cross in your place is still the same care that continues to care for you to this day. Which is why he says in 1 Peter 5 verse 7, because he cares for It's the same care that has been displayed throughout human history and he wants to help us understand this is the same care in a present continuous sense that is still being displayed and positioned towards you to this very day. Isn't it wonderful? My friends, what a wonderful display of God's care towards us we see in the letter of 1 Peter. When we're going through trials and we're going through troubles, here's the harsh reality. When it's us on the end of that trial, what do we tend to have a tendency or a temptation to think? We tend to have a tendency or a temptation to think that surely God has just forgotten about us. That maybe he's moved on. That maybe he's indifferent. I mean, surely this can't be his plan for me, right? Um, We tend to think that he's probably just forgotten about us. But Peter wants to hold your hand and show you this morning, even though troubles will come your way, you are cared for. God himself. He's ever present, ever near. Nothing is taking him off guard or by surprise. He passionately and personally and particularly is caring for you even now. You, who he chose before the foundation of the earth. You, who he bled for at Calvary in your place. Now he holds with that same great affection and mercy and care. Isn't it beautiful? It's a stunning display of God's care towards us that we see placarded before our eyes all the way through the letter of 1 Peter. But he doesn't just want us to see it. He wants us to apply it. He wants us to experience this care. He wants us to position ourselves as Christians to understand how can you and I experience this care? How do I know it, not just theologically, but experientially in my life? Well, that's point two, God's care applied. And he gives us two things in these verses that we are to do to position ourselves well to be able to experience this great care, present care of the Lord God himself gives us two things that we need to do to experience this care here's the first we need to humble ourselves toward one another 
First thing we need to do if we want to experience the care of God is we need to humble ourselves toward one another. Look at the start of verse 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. You know, in that opening statement, he is concluding what he has been talking about in verses 1 through 4 about pastors, which he calls shepherds in verses 1 through 4. Pastors, who I thought Brenda did a wonderful job preaching on last week. Pastors who are called to know God's sheep, that are called to feed God's sheep, that are called to lead God's sheep, that are called to protect God's sheep. You see, one of the things we have to understand in the Bible is God gives us all many gifts. He gives us many gifts of the Spirit that we're to operate in for His glory. But some gifts, it would appear, are actually people. And some of the people that God gives us to care for us and protect us and lead us are pastors. Pastors that are a gift from God to us. A gift of his mercy to us to know us and feed us and lead us and protect us. And Peter wants to ensure that those that are younger understand then the importance of being subject to those men that God has put in that type of authority. Now, just to be clear, a couple of things on this point. He's not saying, hey, if you're older, don't worry about it. Okay, that's not his point. I could take you to other texts in the Bible, Hebrews for a start, that explains we are all, as part of the family of God, to be subject, to have a disposition to follow, which is what it means to be subject, to have a disposition to follow the leadership of those that God has put in authority in our church. So don't think if you're older, it doesn't apply to you. It does. But Peter is looking younger people in the eye. Why is he looking younger people? Well, here's why. He's looking younger people in the eye because he understands when we're younger, we're just a bit more independent. We're a bit more footloose and we have a habit of feeling that we might be wise in our own eyes. Do we not? I certainly did when I was younger. and I was 19, I thought I knew it all. When I was 19, I realized I needed no help from anybody in any shape or form. Why? Because I was independent. I'm a free thinker. I was footloose, and I was wise in my own eyes. Peter knows this is the way it works, so he says, Heads up, if you're younger, make sure you receive into your life the gift that pastoral ministry is. Because they're a gift of grace to you, to help you and lead you and protect you. So if you are younger, heed that word because it's timeless and we all need it. And having established that for us, Peter then helps us understand again, okay, we've established now how we're to respond to pastors. Let's all pull in again. And he starts to explain to us, okay, how do I get to experience this care of God that he's talking about in verse 7? It's what he says in the verse B of chapter 5, verse 5. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Clothe yourselves. Every member of Sovereign Grace Church, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Listen, the type of humility he's looking at here, and the type of humility he's talking about, you have to understand the logic of this to understand how it relates to God's care to us. The type of humility that he's talking about here is the type of humility that considers others more important than ourselves. The type of humility that not only looks after our own needs and our own, own interests, but understands, I want to consider everybody else in the room more important than me, and I genuinely want to care for them and give my life to serving them. That's the type of humility that he's talking about in this text. It's the type of humility 
that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. This is what he says. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And then he points us to our perfect example in this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He's trying to help us understand that Jesus was God. He was God incarnate, but he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. No, he humbled himself as a servant. He considered all of us higher than him, so he gave his life away for us. He considered others more important than himself. He wasn't interested in just looking after his own interests. He wanted to ensure that he gave his life away to look after the interests of other people. And what Paul is saying in God's word is, I want you as Christians to be like Jesus. To in humility consider others more important than yourself. And give your lives away then to serving your brothers and sisters around you within the context of the local church. Now, what has this type of humility then got to do with the care of God? What's the link? How, does it, how do these things link? Well, here's how these things link. When we are going through troubles and trials, there's no doubt that we need God, isn't it? We desperately need the Lord. We need to know His nearness. We need to know His grace for us in our lives. When we are going through trials, we need to know and experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. And yet more often than not, one of the primary ways God brings that care to our lives is through the hands and feet of a fellow brother or sister. Somebody else that comes alongside us to encourage us and care for us and love us and give us time. And what Peter is saying is it's only as we humble ourselves towards one another that we will even notice those around us. But when we truly humble ourselves towards one another and consider others more important than ourselves, we will give our time to them, we will give our energy to them, and we will be instruments in the Redeemer's hands to display God's care to them. Isn't it wonderful? What a privilege it is to care for one another. Because when we care for one another, we don't just do it as part of a club or some type of group meeting. No, we are the hands and feet of God himself towards one another. See, it's been my experience over my life that when we are sad and down, we need the Lord. But more often than not, we need somebody to be the Lord to us, don't we? We need somebody to come and pray for us and put our arm around us and be bothered about us. When we are going through confusion or being overwhelmed, we need the Lord. We need His grace. We need a peace that surpasses understanding. But oh my, what a difference it makes when somebody gives us a call or drops us a text or knocks on the door and comes into our house and says, Hey, I was just thinking about you. I was wondering if I could pray with you. Just thought I'd come and cheer you up. I know it's a lot going on at the moment. 
when we are going through trials and we are exhausted, when we're just all out, we don't know if we can handle like even another day. We need God. We need His grace in our lives. But oh, what a difference it makes when somebody, an instrument in the Redeemer's hands, comes and prays with us and encourages us and invites us into their home and loves on us. Why? Well, because more often than not, it's through their hands and feet that we experience the very care of God Himself. You know, Sovereign Grace, as I was thinking about this week, I couldn't help but think and thank God for how you model this, in my opinion, so incredibly well. Over the last 13 years of being your pastor, I have had the privilege of seeing thousands of thousands of thousands of illustrations of you doing exactly this. Being bothered about one another. We just heard a wonderful illustration from Conrad this morning. Gear doing it tough. Tens of you being bothered about them. Why? Because in humility, you're considering them more important than yourself. And so you're going after trying to care for them. What what are they experiencing? They are experiencing the care of God himself through your hands and feet. It's how it works. And there are numerous examples of this. Honestly, I could spend all day just giving you illustration after illustration after illustration of numerous stories I know. There's ones I know. There's going to be thousands of ones I don't know at all. But what Peter is trying to help us understand is, listen, your brothers and sisters around you will never experience the hands and feet of Jesus towards them unless you are those hands and feet. And that only happens when you are humbly considering others more important than yourself and humbly seeking to serve those around you for the glory of the Lord. And so he tells us we are to humble ourselves then towards one another, if we want to experience God's care towards us. And then secondarily, we are to humble ourselves before the Lord, before God himself. This is what he says in the rest of verse 5 through to 7. He says, For God opposes the proud, (coughs) but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, just God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, in my experience, it is so easy and I think tempting when we are going through trial and trouble, mirroring the incredibly self sufficient culture that we live in, it is so easy to be proud in that moment. It's so easy to simply isolate ourselves off in the midst of difficulty to put our head down and our bum up and just, I'll work it out, okay? I'll figure it out. Leave me alone. I've got this. Welcome to the world of the Aussie battler. I'm just going to sort this out. I'm going to work it out by myself. I don't need anybody. And if we're honest, I don't need God either. I've got this. Well, to that, Peter tells us, listen, God opposes the proud. As Charles Bridges says, pride, explaining why that is the case, he says, pride is contending with God for supremacy. That's why he opposes the proud, because pride is saying, hey, I don't need you. In fact, I don't need you either, but thanks anyway. I'm going to isolate myself off. I've got me. I've got my internet. I've got everything I need. I don't need you, and I don't need you. I'll sort it. Well, God opposes the proud, and that is pride. Because it is contending with God for his supremacy. God who says, listen, you can't do anything without me. We look back and go, I've got it. Well, that's proud. 
God opposes you in your proud. What does that opposition often look like? Well, here's what it tends to look like in the midst of trial and trouble. It looks like God not answering your non-prayers that are never prayed to him because you're not looking to him. Nothing changes. He simply doesn't do it. He just leaves you be. His opposition, in effect, is, all right, you want to sort it yourself? You want to get overwhelmed with anxiety? You just want to be in utter disbelief? All right. This is a warning of kindness from the Lord. He's not trying to catch us out. He's trying to care for us. For God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. When we respond in trials and troubles before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I actually can't do it. I don't think I've got enough to, to figure this out. I, I can't do it. I feel anxious. I feel overwhelmed. Would you help me? Well, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to that individual. He gives grace to the humble. And so Peter tells us in verse 6 to humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Knowing that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who wants the grace? I want the grace. So humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. You know, this expression, the mighty hand of God, this language and rhetoric must have inspired and encouraged these original readers so much. Because they would understand the mighty hand of God of being imagery from the Exodus in the Old Testament and how God cared for and delivered the original people of Israel. They would have known the mighty hand of God, that's, that's a rhetoric and a reference to his power and splendor and grace and might. This mighty hand of God is the mighty hand that led the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. It's the mighty hand of God that led God's people through a mighty cloud by day and a mighty pillar of fire by night. It's the mighty hand that ripped open the Red Sea and enabled the people of God to escape through it on dry land. It's the mighty hand of God that hemmed them in both behind and before, that watched over their coming and their going, and that neither slumbers nor sleeps in its care. This is the mighty hand of God of power, of splendor, of sovereignty, and of majesty that is linking arms with a mighty hand of love and grace and mercy and kindness. Listen, what comfort this would have been to these people who have been maligned and persecuted. What comfort this must have been to know God is caring for you with a mighty hand. He hasn't left you or forsake you. In the same way he dealt with your forefathers, he's still dealing with you. With power and splendor and mercy and love and grace and acceptance, his same mighty hand is caring for you. You see, folks, sometimes I think we fail to understand in the midst of trials and troubles just how incredible God is to us. But what Peter is trying to help us see here as a congregation and as Christians is that the same mighty hand that marked off the heavens with its breadth and held all the waters of the earth in its hollow is the same mighty hand that was stretched out on a tree in our place that in mercy and love and grace did everything it could so that we could be forgiven and redeemed and welcomed into the family of God. It is that same mighty hand of power and splendor and grace and mercy that still cares for you and me today. That's still bothered about us. 
still intimately involved in our lives, still watching your coming and your going, still powerful and splendid and majestic before you. And so he tells us then in verse 7, therefore cast all our anxieties on him. To cast them out. To cast them. You know, as I was thinking about this verse, as soon as I hear the word cast, it, it couldn't help but bring back memories of time with my dad uh, growing up. As he growing up in Spalding in Lincolnshire in England, um, I grew up pretty much in the Shire of the Hobbit, of Lord of the Rings. It was just a real small place. There's not a lot of people lived there. We didn't even have a McDonald's, you know. That's probably why it's such a big deal now as I got older. We had nothing. We had no fast food places. Everybody was a farmer or, or like a flower wholesaler, which is, what, which is what my dad was. And so that's what we did growing up. We were around flowers and farming and tractors, and that's what we did. But one thing we did have going for us is we had a lot of rivers. So there's loads of rivers where I grew up. And so where I would plague my dad, please take me fishing, please take me fishing, please take me fishing. And at different times, he would take me fishing. And I'll never forget the main thing that my dad used to teach me when I was little is, son, you've got to cast out as far as you can because the fish are all over there. So I, I, I'm going to cast out. So you would just practice your casting and you would get this thing as far as you could because over there, the fish wouldn't know you were there. So I'd say, son, just keep casting as far as you can. You're going to have great joy and favor all the way over there. So cast it out. Well, my friends, that's what the Father himself is saying to us as Christians today. You know, those anxieties that you're all feeling, that you're overwhelmed with in your life, I want you to take them and I want you to cast them out as far as you can. Cast them out into the Lord because his mighty hand is caring for you. His mighty hand is loving and gracious and powerful and splendid before you. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He's bothered about you. See, my friends, it's not a matter of It's not a matter if you face trials and troubles. It's a matter of when you face trials and troubles. And so it's not a matter of if you face anxieties. It's a matter of when you face anxieties, what are you going to do with them? And right here, what you realize is we have an option. I can keep them all myself and just worry myself about stuff. But have you ever found that very effective? Have you ever been able to barter with your anxieties? Because I never have once in my life. I've never been able to like, do a deal with my anxieties. No, they just grow. Your anxieties bully you, do they not? Your anxieties will bully you. They will keep going after you, particularly in the night. They will keep going after you. They will keep banging on your door all the time. And so God himself says, take these anxieties, son. Take these anxieties, daughter, and cast them out into my mighty hand. Because I've got you. You can trust me. I'm holding you. I chose you before the foundation of the earth. I died in your place. I continue to care for you. So cast those anxieties onto me. And my friends, it's only as we do that, Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 tell us, it's only as we do that, it's only as we cast these anxieties onto the Lord that we will actually find the peace that surpasses all understanding that we will know and experience his care in a way that goes, you know what, this situation hasn't changed, but I don't feel anxious in the same way. Why? Because I know God's got this. I know he's involved in my life. And I can trust him. And the gift is a peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, surely as sparks fly upwards, 
troubles do fall. They may be health challenges, relationship challenges, financial challenges, family challenges, the list goes on. But what Peter wants to help us understand here this morning that is the reality that as Christians, we are cared for by God himself. God himself, personally and passionately and particularly, cares for you. So I want to encourage you, church, humble. Humble yourself towards one another. Be aware that you are a gift of grace towards one another. You are part of the means that he will bring to bring his care to bear on other people's lives. And then more importantly, humble yourself before the Lord. You know, one lady that did that, maybe the band could come back up as we prepare to close. One lady that did that was a lady called Helen MacDonald. She was the mother of George MacDonald, the famous 19th century author. And on May the 29th, 1820, she penned the following very short prayer. And it says this. We come, dear Jesus, to thy throne to open all our grief. Now send thy promised mercy down and grant us quick relief. Though Satan rage and flesh rebel and unbeliefs arise, we'll rate around his footstool still. For Jesus hears our cry. She knew where to cast her burdens. She knew where to cast her anxieties. And church, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Because he cares for you. Let's pray. Well, Lord, what a wonderful expression this morning has been of your care towards us. In the midst of our lives and in the midst of the busyness and the chaos, particularly when trials and troubles come, you have stilled and paused our souls to remind us that you care for us. The maker of heaven and earth, the one that spins the galaxies, the one that marks off the heavens with his hands, is the same one who's holding our lives. So Lord, would you help us to cast our anxieties onto you? Would you help us, not in arrogance, to just keep them to ourselves, to isolate ourselves off and just do our thing? Would you help us to humble ourselves before you and say, Lord, I trust you. And would sweet, sweet peace then be our reward and the fruit Lord, thank you for caring for us. It is a scandalous grace that you know our names, let alone care for us. But you do care for us. And so may in you, may we know the glorious reality that you care for us and that we're never alone. In Jesus' name, amen.